The advice and opinions expressed by the host of Autism Live and her guests are meant solely as suggestion and should not be in any way construed as child-specific advice. The Center for Autism and Related Disorders advises working with a board-certified behavior analyst who has experience with autism before starting any intensive behavioral intervention. Any choices you make in determining your child's treatment are completely at your own discretion. headquarters in Tarzana, California. So grateful to be here today. So grateful to be back. Had a lovely little break. I, I hope you guys didn't miss us too much and that you remembered that we're here. I, uh, we did uh, only one show last week because I was away. My son had celebrated his 11th birthday. I still quite can't quite get a grip on that. Uh, like, did that happen? No, that's still coming. He's three, right? Uh, but no, he actually turned 11 and we had a really good time and I'll have more to talk about that in the coming days, maybe even today if we have time, but we've got a lot to get to today, a lot. Some of it amazing and some of it heart-wrenching, right? But um, excited to be here with you for the next two hours live, talking about autism from a 360-degree perspective, trying to help you to get the resources and information that you need wherever you are in this big beautiful spectrum whether you're a parent a teacher a practitioner or you're the individual who is actually on the spectrum we want to provide a resource for you and instead of focusing on you know and from time to time we will discuss things that are the on the more negative side of this because heaven knows there are things in our community that are incredibly negative but we want to help you to get to the resources that will help you to be able to accomplish whatever you want to accomplish progress is the name of the game. We know that that's what's essential and we know that we can get progress if we put together the right puzzle pieces for each individual and that's what we're here to help you to do. Uh, so I want to, before we get too far into too many things, I want to tell you how you can interact with us because that's really what this whole show is about. Your input, what you need. So Emily's going to show you some of the different ways that you can be in contact with us as well as some of the different ways that you can be watching the, the show. I'll remind you that our homepage is autism-live.com. When you go there, you get lots of different opportunities to do different things. One of them, check out the blog. Uh, another one one we want to encourage you to do is sign up for our free newsletter. It's going to save you some money in a couple of weeks here. So uh, sign up for that newsletter, but also you have an opportunity to watch the live show. You just click on the little triangle that's on the computer screen there, or you can click on the playlist that's the little icon up in the corner of that computer screen, and you can cycle through and see, uh, you know, some of the guests in the most recent shows, if that's something that you want to watch. To the side of that, there are a series of white boxes there by the whiteboard. Uh, one of them says your question. That is your opportunity to put your cursor there, type away, hit enter, and it shows up magically on my screen. You guys wrote in while I was gone, and I've just uh, been so interested to see what you guys said over the weekend um, and so thrilled that we're going to have some opportunities for some really amazing guests to be answering some of your questions. Absolutely love it when you guys write in. Do be specific as possible. If you've seen something on the 
program and you have a question about it, write in and tell us who it is that you're watching, what the guest is, so that I don't have to guess when you say, well, she said this and I don't know which she, right? <laughs> so be as specific as you can. By the way, you can be completely anonymous. We have no idea who you are. It is no cost to you. You don't log in. There's nothing that you have to do to be able to ask that question. It's sort of instant gratification. That's the good news about it. The bad news is, is that I don't know who you are. Uh, and if you want me to know who you are, then I won't. So if you feel like you want to put uh, your email address or something like that in there, you can for us to be able to get back to you. I will not share that with the folks at home because we want you to preserve that anonymity. Uh, we think that it's important uh, because you have to have a way in which to ask questions. And I don't know about you, but I'm always, I know, and I'm a former teacher and they always say there's no uh, bad question. There's no stupid question is what they say. But you know, sometimes when you're asking a question, it doesn't feel that way. Right. And sometimes you want to ask something and you go, uh, I'm not sure. Um, so I want you to have a format in which you can ask it and not feel any trepidation, uh, to be able to ask something about someone or a, a company or anything at all that you want to ask about. If you want to talk about your significant other and you don't want them to know that it's you, you can hear. <laughs> Uh, but if you want specific information, please give us information so that we can get back to you. All right, how's that for a deal? I always like to remind you at the start of the show that while we, and today, oh, you guys, the experts that we have on the show today will blow your mind, all right? Uh, we, we're going to, it's pretty impressive. I am shaking in my shoes a little bit because I'm that excited and nervous. Uh, not nervous in a bad way, nervous in a good way. Anticipation, right? Um, but uh, we, we have experts on the show, and I just want you to remember that I do not include myself in that category. I'm a mom. Like so many of you out there, my son was diagnosed with autism at the age of two and a half. And as I mentioned earlier, he is now 11. And we've had an amazing couple of weeks as he turns 11. Uh, you know, some of the things that I've been waiting for for the longest time have shown up in spades. And I am incredibly, incredibly grateful. And I, and I know, and I want you to know that we've had the progress that we've had in part because he, that's who he is and he's an individual. By the way, he is not one of the recovered kids. And I know a lot of you hate that word, but and give me another word and I'll use the other word. Um, but in any case, my son still has an autism diagnosis and still qualifies for an autism diagnosis, but he is so remarkable. We are quickly coming to the point where I don't know how much longer we can say that he qualifies for the disorder. Let's put it that way, um, because he continues continues to make progress. And uh, I, I'm, I'm incredibly grateful for that, but I want you to know that that didn't happen because of something that I did. That happened because, well, and you know, in, I, let's say this, it happened because we got the right treatment at the right time in the right amount. And I was a part of that, right? Um, and I want you to know that it took some hard work and I had to, had to participate in that, but I was part of a team that made that happen. And I consider myself very, very lucky. And part of why I'm here is that I hope to make you as lucky as I have been, help you get to the resources that you need at the right time, which is now. Uh, no matter what age your child is, now is the right time. And uh, that we get you the right amount, however we have to go about that. I know that funding is a, 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 an issue 
uh, that's not even, you know, it's not the word I want to use, right? Uh, but it's a big, big issue. It can be gotten around, trust me. It can be gotten around. Lots of people have done it before you, and we want to hook you up with the information so that you get energized and get out there and do the things that you need to do, whatever your circumstances is, uh, so that you can get the progress in, in your life that you want. That's why we're here. But again, I'm not an expert. I'm a parent. I'm a former teacher, and I, I'm very passionate about making sure that I pay forward what was given to me. And what was given to me, quite honestly, in the beginning was information. And that's why I think it's so important that we be here and that we do this. I hope you'll support me in that by participating. You participating, whether it's just sending a question or sharing what we do here on any of your social uh, media outlets, helps to reinforce that we need to be here. And that's important, that is important because we wanna stick around for a lot of people for a long time. So participate with us, that's really all we ask. Use us to help yourself and in doing so, you will help more people to have access to this program. Sound like a deal? I like it. Okay, let's get started. We always start with something that we refer to as the jargon of the day. This is when we take on those pesky jargon terms that people throw around like they're Skittles, right? When we're overwhelmed, overtired, and don't know what they're talking about. But here's the thing that I have learned on my journey through this is that the jargon is important and making friends with it actually helps to create progress, not just for ourselves, but you know what they always say, time is money and, uh, and time is all we have, right? Um, so if, if we're going to meet with an expert to talk about ourselves or a child and we want to talk about making progress, we know that they're going to use a certain amount of jargon. It's, it's part of the deal. And I get it now that I understand the jargon because it makes it quicker. And if you understand what the jargon is, then you get to that progress that much quicker. So we've got to make friends with it. We've got to make friends with it. So today we've got an oldie but a goodie. This is a really, really fun one. Functional pretend play. What are we talking about here, right? And, and I know in the beginning when your child is first diagnosed with autism and you go, really, we have to dissect things down this far? Yeah, we do. Because if the child isn't exhibiting uh, a proficiency in a certain area with skills, we have to get in there and figure out what, where's the missing link, right? Where's that missing puzzle piece of why isn't this child playing? What do we need to work on to get them to the point where they're able to play with other kids and, uh, have creative moments and use their imagination, right? We need them to have that so they can learn new things. Play is a great platform in which to learn. And it's also a stress release right? And it helps with social skills, all important social skills. So what in the Hey Nani Nani is functional pretend play? You ready? Here's our actual definition. Functional pretend play using lifelike objects in a purely functional, socially conventional way to imitate or act out action sequences. Okay. Um, I get what lifelike objects are, but what's a purely functional, socially conventional way? Mm. 
my brain strains a little bit. So let's take a look at our working definition. Functional pretend play, playing with toys that are lifelike in a lifelike way. So there's a whole aisle in most uh, toy stores that are devoted to functional pretend play. And if you go into any preschool, you're gonna see an area set up that's all functional pretend play, because this is important stuff, y'all, right? Uh, what aisle is it? It's the one where you go and they have all the pretend food and they have the pretend vacuum cleaner and they have the pretend kitchen and you know all of that stuff whatever it is stuff that we use in our everyday life I love love the Melissa and Doug functional pretend play toys they have ones where it's you make a pizza and they're all wooden toys oh they're the best toys you guys and and so the child has like a side of uh little wooden mushrooms and there's some little wooden uh green peppers and there's some little wooden pepperoni and they've got the wood-based pizza and they you know they put it all on there and they decorate the pizza however they want and then they can slice it all functional pretend play um this is an area that you know when our child is diagnosed with autism we might poo poo and go I don't have time for this I need to teach my child how to talk I need to teach my child how to interact with other children right we all want those things and those aren't things that we're going to put on a back burner but functional pretend play gives us a basis in which to work on those things and help to make those things fun and and work on social skills that will be far-reaching and also begin to work on adaptive stuff. It's crazy the amount of things that you can work on with functional pretend play. That, you know, the child, do we really want to, and we can if the child is 16 and we're teaching them for the first time how to swipe a credit card, we can do that. But the truth of the matter is that a neurotypical three-year-old is watching parents swiping a credit card and usually get some sort of a toy and sets up a toy store or you know um some sort of a functional pretend play thing where they play teacher, they play store, and you buy things and they might, you know, have a, a little deck of cards or something, or you can buy them now. The little cash register set and it's got the little credit card thing, a little piece of plastic, and the kids play with it. Functional pretend play. And if we give our kids, I always, you know, I feel like I quote Dr. Phil so much, and I'm, I'm not somebody who watches Dr. Phil compulsively, but from time to time. But, um, he always talks about everybody needs a safe place to fall. Well, our kids need a safe place to fall when they're learning. And I really think that functional pretend play gives them that safe place. Because if, if we're playing and, and we've got our little plate of toys, uh, toy cookies that are on there, and we're pretending, we're eating, we're working on manners, and they can mess it up and they can drop the cookies and they can drop the glass of milk and nothing horrible happens, right? Because it's play, but they're learning about how do I do these things for when I'm at the birthday party and it's a real plate of cookies and there's a real thing of juice or milk or whatever it is that the child is eating. Functional pretend play. It's a wonderful, wonderful thing. We can't assume though with play that our kids all go, yippee. A lot of times with all kinds of play with our kids on the spectrum, you know, you give the little girl the toy vacuum cleaner, which I just think is horrible. <laughs> 
Why? When I, I used to, I had twin nieces, and I remember my mother getting them a, a toy vacuum cleaner. I was like, why would you do that? Why, why are we training them at this age to vacuum? But the reality is, is you have to vacuum, right? And if they find it fun, and the two of them loved that toy vacuum cleaner and would do it all over the place because they felt like big grown-up ladies, they're vacuuming, right? They thought it was amazing. Well, the truth is, is that a lot of times our kids on the spectrum see things in a different way. Like an adult would say, I don't want to vacuum for my birthday. Why would I want to vacuum for my birthday? It's not fun, right? And our kids with autism, to them, that's work. It's not necessarily they're going to find re something they're going to find reinforcing. But we can make functional pretend play really reinforcing while we're working on creative things. We can help them to find the right toy for the right functional pretend play. You know, um, so many different things that we can do. But really key that, and I, I'll be honest with you, I used to take my son down the functional pretend play aisle. I would stick him in the cart when he was little. We'd go down the aisle and I would start putting toys in the cart and see which thing would he spend the most amount of time playing with. Yeah, most of them are encased in plastic and you can't really get in there, but you could see what he was interested in. And, and I would, you know, walk around for like an hour in Toys R Us and let him, and, and when he didn't like a toy, that would go back, and then we would we would narrow it down to see what toys, and I will tell you also, asking your therapists, your ABA therapists, and your OTs, which toys they think would be good for your child. I've had many families say that at, at a certain point, they will just give their therapists, uh, you know, 50 or $100 and say, go pick out the toys, and been thrilled with what came back. I remember one mom talking about them coming back with a Melissa and Doug, love Melissa and Doug, toy that was for a little girl that was a cake, a cupcake decorating kit that you had. It was fine motor stuff, which she desperately, desperately needed, that you decorate it with the frosting with all these little sprinkly things, and that the child loved it. How much easier is it to work on fine motor pincer grasp with something that's decorating a cupcake when the child loves to decorate than, you know, anything else under the sun that you might do for pincer grasp? So functional pretend play, it's good for so many things. And it's also, once we get the kids to the point, fun. But it won't be fun in the beginning. That should not prevent us from doing it. Functional pretend play, it's a really cool thing to do. All right, we always have a question for you. And our question at the start of this, because for a lot of you, summer is starting this week. So we want to know what do you do as a family to have fun? What's on your list of things? Not what are you planning on doing, but what do you already do? What's the fun thing? This kind of came up for me because a couple of weeks ago, I was talking about that when we did therapy, uh, I think my family was much better at carving out the time to have fun. Now we have so much more time. A lot of times we're like, oh, we'll do that tomorrow. Not always, right? But, um, you know, one of the things that we used to do when we would have multiple sessions in a day, you know, sometimes when in the first couple of years, Jem would have a session in the morning. We'd have a lunch break for like a half an hour or an hour. Then he'd have a session in the afternoon. Sometimes he might even have a speech thing um, in the later afternoon. Uh, but we'd get a break uh, for a little while. And then sometimes it would be a third session and we'd be done at six o'clock at night. Exhausted, absolutely exhausted. And it's six o'clock at night and I'm cooking dinner and we needed to shake off the day. And so we would put on music and my husband and my son and I would dance for like two minutes. And it wasn't more than that. It wasn't like we danced for 10 minutes, but like two minutes on 
song. And we would all dance around the, the kitchen to sort of shake the day off. And I think back on those days so fondly. And I said that to my husband the other day, we need to do things like that more often. Instead of the big, you know, we gotta take a trip, we gotta do this, we gotta do that. Sometimes it's just those little itty bitty moments that make all the difference in the world. But we'd love to hear from you guys about what do you do as a family that's fun? What are your, what are your go-to, the thing that you do all the time? Cause maybe it'll give me an idea. Maybe it'll give somebody else an idea of, oh my gosh, we could do that. Um, we're trying right now, we have a, a community pool in our, um, in our neighborhood. And so we're trying to commit to going for at least 10 minutes every day because the day goes by and suddenly it's bedtime and, you know, and everybody's crazy busy and whatever. And we're just saying, you know, at least 10 minutes at the pool. And that always turns into at least a half an hour, an hour. But it's so good to take the time. It's so good to take the time. So what are you guys doing? Give me some ideas. Give some other people some ideas. Write in on our Facebook. Let us know what are you doing to create family fun. All right. And then throughout the week, we're going to talk about kinds of things that we can do, which I'm giving it away. What's our topic for the week? Our topic this entire week is dun, 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 having fun. I, uh, one of the people that I just found out is going to be joining us today, Dr. Jonathan Tarbox, which if you watch the show, you know that I just adore the ground that he walks on. And he gives us such good advice as parents about things that we can do to get to that progress. But the thing that he always reminds me both on the show and off the show is we have to make sure that we have fun. Yep. We're trying to scale Mount Everest. He always compares it to be, you know, getting a child ready for the Olympics. You know, we're in that training phase and we're really prioritizing and we're working really hard, but we still have to remember to have fun and to schedule that in. So we're talking about that all this week, gearing up. It's summer. For some people, it's like, woohoo, school's out. And for other people, it's like, oh no, school's out. We don't have as many services. Um, but, you know, we're talking about play this week and we're talking about fun because play and having fun can be very educational. I'm not saying take that time off from therapy. I'm talking about take whatever you've been working on in therapy, put it into the fun situation, and then, you know, give that program some legs. And there's a way to do that that's really, really cool. So there's many ways to do that. So we're going to be talking about that all this week. And some of the different things that we're going to be talking about today, uh, we've got uh some news stories to share with you. One that's amazing and wonderful and one that is amazingly tragic, um, both in the same city here in Los Angeles. We're going to um, be talking about that in just a minute. In the second hour, we have the most amazing guest. Wendy Chung is going to be with us from the Simons Foundation. And she is one of the leading geneticists in the world working on autism. And she's got an amazing TED Talk that is available right now. You can go and watch that. I, I shared it this morning on my personal Facebook page. Uh, so you can either easy link that you can watch it there. Or you can go to TED Talk and put in Wendy Chung. If you have questions for her, and I know some of you have already started writing in questions for her, we welcome those. She's going to be with us in the next hour, a rare opportunity to talk with one of the leading geneticists in the field of autism research. Very excited to have her with us in the next hour. We're also going to be talking about autism in summer and how do we put these things together to make educational opportunities and have that all important fun. So stick with us. 
lots coming up. And as I mentioned, Dr. Tarbox, I kind of begged and pleaded this morning and uh, knew that he was going to be in the building. And I said, will you join us? It's not your day to join us. But uh, I, if I've got one of the leading researchers on uh, with us, I want one of the other ones with us as well to help me. Uh, I'm a little intimidated. So he agreed, and he's going to be with us a little bit later on. And I'm, while he's here, I'm going to put him to work and have him answer a couple of the questions that you guys have sent in. So uh, that's if I can get him for long enough. I don't want to promise that until I see how long I have him because he's a very busy gentleman. So all of that and ever so much more after these messages. Hello, activists. Let's talk about step nine. Trust your intuition. Nobody knows your child better than you do. No one. If I had trusted my gut, my intuition, I would have had my son diagnosed two years earlier and he would have started receiving important early intervention two years earlier as well. Somehow I let others, people that I thought were experts, convince me to wait and see as the best course of action. It wasn't. If you feel like something's amiss with your child, chances are you are right. How can someone like a doctor or a teacher or someone who has spent limited time with them know what's best for them? You've spent a lifetime with them. You are their best advocate. Trust your gut. It will never steer you wrong. Until next time, keep the faith. Welcome back to Autism Live. We wanted to do it. has been a week since we've been with you, and a lot of things happen in the news. Two stories that I particularly want to focus on this morning, and then, of course, we're going to cover some more things on Let's Talk Autism with Shannon and Nancy. But was really struck this last weekend because we live here in Los Angeles, and there were two stories that came out last weekend, and it really was a tale of two cities, the best of times and the worst of times. Uh, we'll start with the bad news, the tragic and horrible bad news that a teenager, 16 years old, by the name of Eric Ortiz, and I'm sure you've probably heard of this, uh, he was on a school field trip that his parents had agreed to, and he had a one-on-one -on -one aide whose sole responsibility it was to take care of Eric and make sure that Eric stayed safe. And we don't know at this time what happened, except for the fact that we know that somehow Eric ended up in a swimming pool in the public park in which they were visiting. The parents had not been told there was a swimming pool. The parents were aware of the fact that their son was not capable of swimming, shouldn't have made a difference because the, the field trip had no intent of being in or around the swimming pool and there was an aide assigned to him. But Eric drowned. Uh, it is devastating to me to think, and there is, look at this beautiful face that is lost to us forever. I cannot imagine what his family is going through. And I, I want to say that they have our complete and utter total condolences. This kind of thing should never, ever have happened. It is so devastating to think that a child could be, you know, and their parent, his parents fought for that one-on-one -on -one aid. Um, but everyone was under the understanding that Eric was not someone who could be left unmonitored. And yet somehow he was unmonitored long enough to get 
through or over a fence, no one knows how, and end up in the swimming pool and fatally drown. Uh, again, our condolences go out to the family. This was, uh, Eric was a student at Garfield, um, Garfield High School. He, that is part of the LAUSD. And I understand that his family, LAUSD has offered their condolences to the family. The family has, of course, gotten legal assistance and the lawyer has said the family doesn't want your condolences they want to know how this happened and ultimately I think we all want to know how can this be prevented in the future uh, it's too late for Eric but uh, we cannot have this kind of thing continue I, I don't know and it's all speculation but I do know that training people properly. I was in a conversation about this the other day and I said, oh my God, this just takes my breath away. And the person said to me, well, you know how those kids are. They can get away from anyone. And I, I couldn't speak in that moment. I really had to take a step back. I have since said to that person, that's not the truth. That just isn't the truth. If we have somebody who's properly trained and we have somebody to work with this child properly, yes, for a long period of time, we will have to still maintain eyes on supervision. But these children should not be able to get away from anyone. We have to, I think about what Dr. Tarbox has said before on the show, it's as if a child looks at you and says, I'm going to run away from you. And what would you do if the child has had the ability to say to you, at some point, I'm going to run away from you? What would you do beforehand? We have to assume that with all of our kids. We just have to. 16 years old and now he is lost to us. Very, very tragic story. But I mentioned that we had both the worst story and the best story in the same city. Uh, another young man on the autism spectrum, 14 years old. And of course, I am referring to Dylan Barmosh, an incredible young man who is nonverbal on the autism spectrum, who delivered his graduation speech from junior high. And he did it from an iPad the other day. And it was uh, an amazing event that he got a standing ovation. Uh, truly a remarkable, remarkable feat. We have part of his speech. Um, and, and we have a quote from his mom, Tammy Barmosh. And we're trying to see if we can book her to come on the show to talk about this amazing, amazing turn of events. But she says, up until the age of 10, we were trying to do a lot of in interventions that are common for an autistic child. But at 10, we realized that speech wasn't really coming in. Uh, she said that his anxiety increased and his movements and his mood became difficult for him him to control and he desperately wanted to communicate they and and we've said before on this show how essential it is to give functional communication to all individuals all individuals and that sometimes parents are afraid that if you give them a device with which to speak that we'll never get to language we know now that research has shown us that 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 isn't the case that in fact 
with a lot of kids, we will get to speech much faster by giving them that assistive technology. So if someone is talking to you about assistive technology, I want you to know that it doesn't necessarily mean, mean the end of anything. And in Dylan's case, it gave him functional communication so that he could communicate. It lessened his anxiety and made it possible for him to excel. Now, four years later, after getting assistive technology, he was chosen to give the address at his graduation. Um, and, and as I said, we do have a part of his speech here. I don't want to read the whole thing because I hope that we can get him and or his mom on the show. But he said, hello, my name is Dylan Barmanche. When I examine each day, it's just incredible how a student, an autistic one, could ever feel a part of a class of future academics. Education is a better institution when all students have opportunity, plus a chance to take an idea and see the lessons within. With your mind, no one can place limits on where an idea can take you. Living without a voice creates almost no way to be heard, but there are people who refuse to think in a box. Open your mind in high school. You will learn about different ideas and ex examine new findings. Always look inside other people's experience in order to gain another perspective outside of books. And there is Dylan with all of his awards around his neck. Uh, what an amazing triumphant moment for Dylan, for his family, for all individuals with autism, for everyone who was there and saw it. I'm heard it was a goosebump moment, standing ovation, uh, absolutely just one of the most powerful things that you can absolutely imagine. And I, I, I submit to you that both of these young men live in the same city, and. Eric is no longer with us, and Dylan is going off to high school with the world at his fingertips, literally, because he's, he can speak to us through his fingertips. And I, I, we know that there is no one-size-fits-all with autism and that people have are affected in different ways and have different types of autism. But what is significant to me here is that... Um, when talking to Dylan's mom, she references the school that he went to and how incredible he went to Hale Charter and how they helped him. She says uh, he found he, he felt he could find his true voice uh, and that that kind of an environment was absolutely an uh, incredibly necessary to be able to support him. And we don't know everything that was going on at Garfield High School, but we do know that, that the aide who was working with Eric was not up to the task. And I don't know whether that's because they weren't trained or because they didn't follow through. I, I don't know, or whether it was just plain human error. But it is a sad state of affairs for Eric, and it is a wonderful triumphant moment for Dylan. And I, I don't know about you, but I would love to see more Dylan stories and no more stories like Eric's story. Both young men in the same city on the same weekend tragically different outcomes. We're going to take a break and we're going to be back with more of Autism Live after these messages. Hi guys, welcome back to Smarty. Today I have a special guest with me. What the heck? She's missing. Here I am. And what's your name? Mackenzie. And what are we doing today? Making sidewalk cake. And how do we do that? 
I have no idea. So the materials we'll be needing are two cups of cornstarch, one cup of cold water, four and a half cups of boiling water. cornstarch and put it in the big bowl. Yes. Can you do that for me? Yes. Thank you. <gasps> Sorry. It's alright. I'll help you. Step two, you're going to put the cold water into the bowl. Cold water into the bowl. Good job. Step three, we're going to stir it with a big spoon. stirring it until it's all the way mixed together. So the next step is adding the boiling water. That's a little dangerous for her, so I'll be doing it myself, one cup at a time, stirring it together. Are you gonna keep an eye on me? Yes. So once we're done stirring the cornstarch water, we're gonna start making our dyed paste. So yeah. what are we gonna do? We're gonna put in the dye. Okay. And we're gonna put in the sparkle. All right, let's do it. Move this out of the way. All right, it's all you, Mackenzie. So the more food color we use, the brighter it's gonna be. Ooh. So let's put the sparkles in. Now we're gonna put the cornstarch in the jar. All right, do you wanna stir that up? It looks pretty. We're gonna make a few more colors and we're gonna go pale side. See all the colors in the sky tonight. Welcome back to Autism Live. I just wanted to take a couple of seconds to address a couple of the comments and questions that you guys have written in, although some of them we're going to save um, for hopefully with, when Dr. Tar Tarbox is here a little bit later. Um, okay, so somebody wrote in and said, hello, Shannon. Hope you had a wonderful day celebrating your son's 11th birthday. We really did. Uh, they go on to say, I try and watch your show several times a week. Thanks so much for an informative and uplifting show. Wish, wish this information had been available 20 years years ago. My son is now 23. Resources were not so easy to obtain as they are today, and I felt very isolated and afraid to ask for help. Can't express how comforting it is to not feel alone in this journey, and they said love. Uh, I just want to thank you so much because you know this is a, a big deal for me, and, and part of the reason why I felt so passionately about doing this show because even when my son was diagnosed, uh, I can't do math. So what is it like nine years ago? I guess it was, he was two and a half. So it was eight and a half, nine years ago, he was diagnosed and I felt terribly alone. You guys terribly, terribly alone. And I think, you know, it's one of the things about this disorder that we don't talk about is that, you know, we talk about how isolating it can be for the individual who's on the spectrum. I don't think we talk about that enough, how isolating it can be 
for those kids and how, uh, you know, how important it is to include them. It's one of the things we're going to be talking about tomorrow, how that starts with us, how we work to include them. Um, but then when, when you think about the parents, I, I don't ever hear anybody talking about how isolating this disorder can be for the parents. And, and it is sometimes, it doesn't need to be, but it is sometimes when your child isn't capable of going and doing things in public, eventually you decide to stay home. And I don't know about everybody else, but I decided to stay home. And then I got to the point where I couldn't leave the house. I became full on agoraphobic. And I do think that part of it is that I was afraid of what was going to happen if we went out. Was I going to be able to handle it? What was he going to do? There was at least one incident where my son in a, in a grocery store took the shopping cart that we were in. And I was right there with him. But I didn't have good skills at that point because I didn't have good training at that point. But he took our cart. And he was only, I don't even think he was three yet. He might have been just three. And he upended our cart and it slammed down on the metal floor. And um, not the metal floor, it was like a ceramic tile kind of thing. And there was a couple who was right next to us with a brand new baby in that little thing in the, in the seat. And it scared me in 68 kinds of ways because I thought, what if he had done something that had toppled that baby over? And the way that other couple looked at me, like, what kind of a monster are you raising? Um, you know, I didn't want to go back out for a while. And then it became I couldn't go back out. So I think it's so important on this journey that everybody have a place to share, that everybody have a place to feel like they are supported and that they're not in this alone. Uh, you know, somebody said to me once, well, you know, it's that misery loves company. And I said, I don't really think it's that. I don't think we want to be miserable, but we don't want to be alone. And I take no pleasure in knowing that you guys are having a rough time or going through a rough time, but I do take pleasure in knowing that when I'm going through a rough time, that there are people who understand it and aren't judging me for it, uh, really honestly. And that has been, you know, one of the hugest gifts for me and, uh, and one of the byproducts of this show for me, because you guys, I'm an isolator. I'm somebody who just as soon sit at home and not tell anybody what's going on. Right. But this show keeps me honest. And then I go to places and I meet you guys and I can't pretend with all of you. I can't, I can't be like, Oh, it's just all a tea party. Right. It isn't, um, but there are good things that are happening. And when we hold hands, you know what I always say, you know, si se puede, we can do this. And when we hold hands and we do this together, it makes it easier. Uh, I, I wrote a blog a long time ago and I talked about it when we first started the show about, I had this dream one night um, and uh, it was this crazy dream and I don't remember all the specifics of it, but I wrote a blog about it and it was about uh, being someplace and being in a car and seeing a woman fall out of a car in a parking structure and she had all these babies inside her coat in this wacky dream that I had. And as she rolled, people in the parking structure would like grab her and I was running behind to try to help her too. And people would grab her and as they would grab her to try to slow her down as she was rolling, she would give them a baby from her coat and they would take the baby and she would keep rolling and then somebody else would grab her and they would, it was a crazy dream, right? But when she finally stopped, I was the person who got there when she finally stopped and I, I, you know, got there and put my arms around her and she, I don't know, I don't even remember what got said in the dream, but it was something uh, about, 
you know, oh my gosh, you're okay. And then I said to her, did you, do you realize how many people's arms you were in? And when I woke up, I remember thinking, oh my gosh, you know, in a sense, we're all that woman with babies rolling and that we're all, we've all been in so many people's arms and not even known it, not even been aware of it because we were so busy tumbling. And for her to look and see that there were like 10 people who had had her for at least a second before she tumbled onto somebody else, she'd been in a lot of people's arms. And I always think of that for myself that, you know, some days are bad, but you are in more people's arms than you know. And there are people here and there are people everywhere who are thinking about you today and wanting to be of some kind of support and sometimes all it can be is arms to say, I'm here, right? But sometimes that's just enough. Sometimes that's all we need to get back on our feet. Um, so I appreciate you because uh, while I might have you in my arms at any given moment, you've got me in your arms too. And together, right? Together we do this. So I appreciate you writing in. And I hope that we just get more and more resources for those kids that, uh, the kiddos out there that are 23. Amazing. Amazing. Have you had a, a second to read, um, uh, the World According to Matt. We've had uh, Liz, Matt's mother, on the show before, and you guys might be fast friends. Uh, Matt is 27 and just got his own place, and uh, Liz is an amazing, amazing author and has written a book. Uh, check it out. Check it out. That's all I can say. Okay, somebody has written in and wants to know, uh, does Medicaid cover ABA in Louisiana? Uh, that they go on to say, we contacted a place that says it does, but it will cost $10,000 outside of that. My son is severely autistic, four and nonverbal. We need ABA desperately to give him a voice and a chance. Please help. Okay, I don't know which part of Louisiana you're in, but Louisiana has a mandate. Um, I, I'm going to find out some more about Medicaid. But more importantly, I would I believe that there's an opportunity for you to buy into the health insurance plan in Louisiana to get coverage um, because they do have that in Louisiana. So I'm going to do some legwork and some research as well, and I'll probably get back to you tomorrow on this. But in the meantime, if you're watching for a nonverbal, man, you're in the window. So you're right you do need it desperately. So uh, if you are anywhere near Baton Rouge, what I want you to do is call the card 800 number and tell them that you're interested in services in the Baton Rouge area because they have a new office in Baton Rouge. If you're not in the Baton Rouge office, uh, area, if you're not within like 50 miles of Baton Rouge, will you please write me and tell me where you are so I can find a different provider who does quality ABA that's close to you and we can get you on the phone with them because you absolutely do need to start services immediately. And I will also tell you that it takes a while, right, for things to get funded. And if you don't have insurance or you do have Medicaid or whatever, it takes a while for that ball to get rolling for the therapist to actually be at your door. And you are really in a, in a place where every day you could be gaining skills or every day you could be losing skills, right? And we don't want you on that end. We want you on this end. So I want to encourage you to check out iBehavioralTraining.com. Uh, Go there and, you know, do 
one or two of the trainings. They're like $7.50 a piece. Um, and you have them for a period of time. You can share them with the people who are in your circle of influence, people that you are going to be working with your child, because that's everyone who comes in your home, by the way, is going to be interacting with this child. And this is information that they need to know. And then I want to encourage you to try the free trial of skills. Go to skillsforautism.com, get the 14 day free trial and get started. Don't, you know, don't wait. You need to get on the list for the ABA to get that started and that moving, but then don't wait for them to come to the door. Get started yourself. And you can, that's the great thing about 2014 is that you can get started today in educating yourself and turning this around so that you can be in the part where he's gaining new skills every day instead of getting further and further behind. So do me a favor, write to me, tell me if you're in the Baton Rouge area. And if you are, I want you to call that 800 number for cards. You can go to centerforautism.com, find the 800 number there. All right, we've got many more questions and one in particular that I really want Dr. Tarbox to take a look at. So uh, we're going to take a break. We're going to come back with some more before we get started in the next hour. Don't forget that Wendy Chung is going to be here. She is the, one of the leading geneticists in the field of autism. Uh, amazing, amazing researcher. And we're also going to have Dr. Jonathan Tarbox with us, so stick with us. Hi, Lisa Ackerman back with Talk of Facts. Questions, real life questions and answers for the autism journey. Oh, are you ready for this one? Talk to me about puberty. Ah! So what I would recommend is first and foremost is the kids that have done the therapeutics, the medical, and the dietary allergen removal interventions tend to have an easier time at puberty. Seizures are really common uh, for children on the spectrum more than neurotypical populations, and they're especially most common right at or about puberty time. So it's extremely important, even if you have a 10-year-old that you've already done an EEG, that you consider before they go through puberty to get a second EEG done. Just because you have one clean EEG with no abnormal brain activity or seizure activity, you need to do another one prior to puberty. That's one of the most common calls we get with teens on the spectrum is they are often experiencing a seizure for what their family thinks is the first time. And the third thing is you're gonna have a teenager, so you're really gonna have to kick it up a notch on those life skills, social skills and getting your kid ready to be that teenager they need to be. So if you're doing that baby thing, and I know you are, where you're maybe making their lunches or uh, helping them with laundry, we need to start bouncing some chores over to those kids. And we also need to increase social environments where they can be successful. So think about it. We've got three really important things that we need to look at. Puberty is a very serious issue and we take it very seriously. So make sure you have all of your therapeutics, medical and dietary interventions in place. Uh, consider to do another 24-hour EEG with your physician prior to puberty. And the third most important thing, get ready to raise the bar. Your job is to really get them ready for life. And I know you can do it. 
Welcome back. That was our really good friend, Lisa Ackerman, who we just adore. And, you know, the Taka picnic was just this last Sunday, and I was so bummed because I was off for my son's birthday and didn't realize that it was the same weekend. Uh, we weren't able to go to the Taka picnic, but I just want to give a shout out to everybody at Taka. What an amazing picnic they do every year. And if you uh, have not become a member of Taka yet and, and are not yet on their site uh, or participating in some way, I really want to encourage you amazing, amazing woman, Lisa Ackerman, amazing, amazing site, full of so much incredible information. Uh, so big, lovely, you know, kiss to, to Lisa and to Taka for, and I heard it was amazing. I saw pictures on Facebook, uh, great, great event, their yearly family picnic. Seemed like it was a little early this year, earlier than it normally is, but uh, a great, great event. We asked you guys a question today. We wanted to know, what do you guys do as a family for fun? Because uh, we're always looking for ideas, and it's the beginning of summer, and it's important that we make fun a part of what we're doing. We, we talk about all the time, principle number one, we're not going to do anything over and over and over again unless there's some sort of paycheck for it, right? We need to be reinforced on a regular basis basis and part of life is uh, having fun and being reinforced by that so looking for ideas I said that we used to do a little dance in the kitchen every time the day of therapy was over uh, so but you know now my son's a little bit older and uh, you know we're, we're going to the swimming pool but I'm looking for some fun things over the summer as I know all, our, all of you are so some of our viewers wrote in somebody said we take a trip trip to Nobles it's a local racetrack um, which sounds like a really fascinating thing to do with kids uh, and that they watch rent or go to the movies this is a big favorite right I know uh, that's usually our Friday night gig with my son that I try to introduce him to like the top 100 films of all time that you have to see before you become an adult like you know the incredible Mr. Limpet those kinds of things right uh, another person who says we love heading to the beach yes that's a really good thing to do we uh, we took my son to the beach when he was very little right before he was diagnosed with autism and it was the single most frightening experience of my life because he just tried to run into the ocean he had no sense of fear no understanding of what it was and he just you know and I'm not a good swimmer I thought I was gonna have a heart attack <coughs> excuse me <coughs> I couldn't keep him out of the water and he would just run in and um, oh it was just terrifying <coughs> excuse me so we haven't been back to the beach in a long time because of that uh, now he has a you know a much better understanding but we uh, we went to a festival a couple of weeks ago that happened to take place at Hermosa Beach and, um, and I saw was like I don't want to you know I don't want to stay home and play on the computer I don't want to you know <laughs> that's always whenever we want to take him anywhere we have to like get out the shoehorn and you know say you know we're leaving and pry him out of the chair and then he's thrilled right if we can get out the door so we went to Hermosa Beach and he had the best time and was saying when can we come back when can we do this and we went down to the uh, we went out on the pier uh, and that was great fun and then he just wanted <coughs> excuse me to go and be on the beach and we did and he had such a good time uh, we didn't actually go swimming on the beach but he had such a good time running and then running out of the way as the waves came in and picking up a couple of shells and just seeing that whole beach culture he just absolutely loved it and of course you know he was uh, there were some people there who were burying somebody he found that fascinating there were other people who were making sandcastles it just uh, there's so many things to do at the beach as long as 
water safety is uh, what you have on board. I could not have taken him back when he was younger, but I can take him now. <clears throat> Another person who says, excuse me, going walking. Oh, what a great thing to do for fun. And then they go on to say, and we love staying in a cottage uh, in a very specific place in Cornwall and spending time on the beach, also playing games as a family. You know, games are one of the great, great things for autism that, um, you know, when we're working on, when we're playing a game, we're working on so many different things. We're working on rules. We're working on taking turns. We're working on being a good loser, being a good winner. We're working on self-esteem. Sometimes we're working on white lies because we have to bluff a certain amount in a game. Uh, we're, we're working on making eye contact. There are so many things that you can work on when you're playing on a game, depending on what the game is. And then, you know, if it's Twister, we're working on a whole set of physical things, right? Uh, so, so many different things that we can work on. It might be money that we're working on math right? It might be working on spelling when we're working. The games are a great way for a family to socialize um, and to work on whatever the programs are. And if you're working on a program with a child, ask your therapist, what's a great game that teaches this? For instance, there's, oh gosh, and I'm not going to remember what the name of it is. Um, we were working on features at one point and identifying, you know, what people look like and how you can describe them. And, uh, and there's a great game. I think it's called Guess Who. And it's a, a, a board with all these little flipper charts, right? And you pick somebody to be the perpetrator of something or the winner of something, whatever. And you, the other, it's sort of like Battleship, but with features. So the other person says, uh, is the person I'm looking for, do they have red hair? And the other person says, no, they don't. And so you can close all the windows of people who have red hair. You've eliminated them, right? So there's a certain amount of, you know, executive function thinking, critical thinking, that's what I want. But it's also teaching the features because then they have to then ask, uh, you know, do, is it a man or a woman? Is, do they have glasses? Are they wearing a scarf? Process of elimination, fun, fun game, right? And there are tons of games that are like that, that if you said, well, here's what we're working on. What's the game that goes with this? Ask your therapist. And if they're not, if they don't know, ask us, because I love those kinds of questions. We love games here and we know lots of great game makers and we can ask them to, we have resources to find that out. But games are an amazing thing to do for fun and make it educational. Uh, another person who says, go for a bike ride, fishing and swimming. It is is the season. In fact, we were just talking about uh, Lisa Ackerman from Taka, and she has a, an amazing blog, the Real Help Now blog. And she had posted a blog last week about how this change of season that we will hear a rash of stories as, you know, already we have we have one deceased 16-year-old because of water safety. So this is a great time of year to do things around the water. And we know that a lot of our kids, they seem to be one way or the other. They absolutely love the water or they're terrified of the water. In either situation, we need to get as much water safety on board uh, as we possibly can so that we can be as safe as we possibly can. So, but it is a good time if that's the kind of thing they love to be pursuing that. We've featured lots of different experts on this show about teaching water safety and learning about that. I hope you'll go back on our YouTube page and put in, um, 
swimming and water safety in the, the, the key feature line to be able to find some of those videos and get hooked up with some of those experts because it's important that we all make sure that our kids are safe around the water, especially this time of year. Okay. We are going to uh, take a break and go to the A Word. This is the amazing documentary that's being made here at the Center for Autism and Related Disorders following a little boy, Jack Riley, who was diagnosed with autism at the age of two. And ever since then, he's had cameras in his home at regular intervals documenting what is going on both for him in this intervention, but also for the family, that they talk to the parents as well. So take a look and let's see what Jack Riley is up to at this point. This is the A word. We skipped a few in the middle, didn't we, love? Jack Riley likes to watch videos about the ABCs, or the ABBCs, as he likes to say. He kept uh, throwing a fit and misbehaving when he wasn't getting what he wanted. We finally decided it was time to uh, turn off the computer. And of course, we did that without warning him. He threw uh, one of the biggest tantrums I've ne ever seen from him because he's used to getting his way now because we're, now that he can say it, we're supposed to reward him, but now he's testing us. While we are 100% ABA advocates and we believe it is working on our son, there is a little fallout in reinforcing these requests um, that he doesn't quite understand now that uh, he doesn't get everything he wants. Bye-bye! This is completely typical. When requesting isn't something that happens naturally with your child, you want to create as many opportunities to practice the skill, so you reinforce each time they request because it will increase the frequency they demand. Once the requests are at a rate you want, then you should begin to fade the frequency of reinforcement and teach new advanced skills such as having the child wait for a desired item or let them know that they must choose something else. These are all life skills. Not every desire will be met, but you are more likely to get what you want if you communicate your wants appropriately. You want some applesauce, buddy? <coughs> yeah, why don't we put the car over here, yeah, buddy? Let's take the car. We're just gonna take a break. Take, take, a, break. Break. take a break. Take a break. Take a break. Do you want this? Do you want the car? Do you want more car? Settle down. Settle down. Okay, Settle do you down. want more car? Okay. And you want applesauce? Okay. Alright, take another bite. One more. There you go. Nice. That was a good okay. bite too, buddy. There you go. Good bite. All right. Yeah, I should have warned him before I took it away. We we'll, we get reminded all the time. It work, It just works so well. It does. It really does. Forget yeah. to do it. And... Okay. Ten more seconds and bye bye car. Okay. Bye bye car. And ten. Okay. Okay. <laughs> okay. Okay, let me have it. Bye bye, car. Oh. No, that's okay. Settle down. Thank you. Take two, two bites, please. Two, do you want the car? Yes. Two okay. bites. Two bites. Good good talking. One. And then good two. Good job. Good job, buddy. Good job. Good job. Good job. How has the meal time been going with you? Still the same? Still yeah, it's going well. Yeah. You know what he had last night? Did she, Cheryl tell you? No. We are documenting this because. 
This bite of spaghetti that he's about to take is the first ever meal that Jack Riley has had exactly what mommy and daddy are having. With the exception of the cottage cheese, he would eat that too, but we're, we're going slow. I realize it's just spaghetti and lots of kids probably eat spaghetti, but our kid never did. Not for us anyway. And now he's like just a regular kid having dinner with mom and dad. Welcome back to Autism Live. As you can see, I've been joined by a wonderful guest, Dr. Jonathan Tarbox, who's here in the building. And I, I, when I found out that he was going to be here, I said, would you please come? Because we're having one of the leading researchers in the field of genetics with autism on the show. And, uh, and I said, what a wonderful opportunity. I want to have him here as well. Uh, so, so thrilled to have you here. And thank you for joining you. us on such short notice. No problem at all. Great and to be here. And those of you who watch the show uh, probably know Dr. Tarbox. 
Fox because he's a regular here on Thursdays. He is the director of the Autism Research Group. So this is a field research and autism. These are things that you're passionate about as well. So Absolutely. I'm excited. I just get to be in the room because in just a minute, we're going to be joined by Wendy Chung, who's from the Simons Foundation. So, and she is one of the leading uh, researchers in the field of genetics having to do with autism. So uh, I just want to briefly say to you guys that you just watched a clip from the A Word. That is an ongoing documentary being made following a little boy as he gets his early intervention. Uh, he's getting quality ABA and it's really a wonderful tool to use if you're a parent watching it and seeing the arc of how they teach him something and put all the pieces together so that it truly becomes his own in a way that is just seamless is remarkable. But also I think there's a benefit in watching the parents as they journey through some of the frustrations of, you know, is it moving fast enough and then seeing it blossom uh, is, is really an education. And we talked before about how important it is to not feel alone. I guarantee you, if you're a parent with a child who's getting early intervention, you will enjoy watching this family and feeling all the things with them. You'll feel a kinship, I guarantee you. So please feel free to watch. They have their very own YouTube channel for the A Word, and you can watch the entire series at your leisure. It's completely free. You can watch by topic and go backwards, forwards, whatever way it works for you as a tool. But please check out the A word. We are going to take a brief break. We're going to be back with Wendy Chung. You're not going to want to miss this. Skills is an online program that provides assessment, curriculum, positive behavior support planning for challenging behavior and progress tracking, and it does this all in one place. The Skills Assessment and Curriculum addresses eight areas of development, which even includes advanced higher level areas such as executive functions and cognition, which pretty much makes Skills the only ABA-based set of curricula for teaching more complex skills, things like problem solving, planning, self-management, perspective taking, and even inferring and predicting others' private events. Skills is a four-step system. Step one is to add the child to your account. Step two is to start assessment. The skills assessment is the only ABA-based assessment with psychometric research demonstrating the language subscale to have excellent reliability. Every area of human functioning and typical child development from infancy to adolescence was researched, making the skills assessment the most comprehensive of its kind in the world, and we're quite proud of that. Skills is easy to use. Simply click Start Assessment and begin answering questions, or simply type in a keyword Find specific activities to assess and add activities to treatment. Step 3. Choose activities. Once you've completed the assessment, Skills selects from a pool of 4,000 activities categorized by age, level, and skill type to provide you with exactly those activities each child needs. Start by choosing a curriculum, then a lesson, and finally an activity. Click the information icon to view prerequisites, ages in which targets develop, examples, and IEP goals. Click the video icon to watch a short video. Once you've identified an activity you want to teach, adding activities to treatment is a snap. Step 4. Start treatment. Here you can access customizable activity lesson details, add your own customized targets and exemplars, and edit an activity status such as introducing or mastering it. You can even print handouts such as worksheets, tracking forms, visual aids, and other materials. Skills also offers multiple progress charts, mapping curriculum progress, 
lesson progress, and cumulative number of activities and targets mastered over time. The skills language curriculum is categorized by verbal behavior type so that users can identify progress for verbal operants, such as echoics, mans, tax, and interverbals. Skills is one of the only programs that provides the ability to write behavior intervention plans, or BIPs, for challenging behavior. With just a few clicks, the outline of the behavior intervention plan is written for you and ready to be printed and implemented. You can learn more about Skills today and get started by visiting us at www.skillsforautism.com or you can call us at 877-975-4559. Skills. Progress starts here. Welcome back to Autism Live. I am so thrilled and so fortunate that joining us via Skype right now, we have Wendy Chung from the Simons Foundation, and also with us in the studio, we have Dr. Jonathan Tarbox. So, Wendy, so thrilled to have you with us this morning. Thank you for having me. I'm glad to be here. Well, and we were saying before that you are a very impressive person, uh, one of the leading geneticists working in the field of autism, and you are a part of the Simons Foundation. And I wondered if you could take just a brief second and tell our audience what the Simons Foundation Research Initiative in Autism is all about and what its mission is. Right. So. The Simons Foundation has been uh, had an umbrella group called Safari uh, that works specifically on autism. The Simons Foundation has other things it does, but the Safari mission is dedicated totally to autism. And it's been, um, for the last seven or eight years, been responsible, I think, for doing a lot of funding of research in autism, and particularly with a genetic bent. Um, and so they've been leading the field, I think, in terms of trying to identify new genes for autism, being able to understand how those genes work, and being able to um, understand how the brain works based on what those genes are and how they're important with the way the brain develops and ultimately functions. Um, besides that, it funds a lot of neuroscience and behavioral uh, work that's related to autism. Um, so with uh, some of those genetic studies, in addition to that, understanding basic uh, sort of neurobiology, understanding also from a very practical point of view how to develop new therapies, new uh, supports for individuals challenged with autism. Um, so it's been, it's, it's got a very wonderful group of investigators around the world who are dedicated to this, and it's also supported development of cohorts or populations of participants who, with whom we've partnered and learned a tremendous amount. Well, it, absolutely remarkable, and it gives us so much hope. And, and you have been referred to as a genetic sleuth, and my understanding <laughs> is that you worked in many other fields before this, including the field of diabetes and working on uh, finding out about how genetics plays a role in the heart. What brought you to this field of autism? Right. So I'm trained and I work as a clinical and molecular geneticist. So as a geneticist, um, and I should say a pediatric geneticist, a lot of my patients, in fact, more than 50% of my patients were coming to me uh, that had autism or related developmental disabilities. Um, and my patients would come to me, you know, really searching for the question, why? Why did this happen? And more importantly, how can we make this better? And so I ended up, uh, you know, for many years, unfortunately, being able to not provide the answer most of the time. And so it really 
really drove me to develop new technologies, new methods uh, to be able to find the answer to the question why. I still have to admit we don't always find that answer, uh, but when we do, it provides new opportunities, as I said, to try and enrich and make better the lives and the families of those individuals who are challenged. Um, I, I'm very optimistic that now that we're getting better at understanding the question of why, uh, we can get beyond just the diagnosis and we can get on to new treatments and new therapies. And I think that's the most exciting new era that we're starting to enter just now. And we've got a lot of questions coming up for you about that, in fact. But you did a TED Talk recently um, talking about what we know about autism and what we don't know about autism. And we're going to show a clip from that. But before we go to that clip, can you tell us if somebody wants to know more about the Simons Foundation, where would be the best place for them to go? Yeah, so we've got a great website, simonsfoundation.org. Uh, we'll tell you everything about the Simons Foundation and their specific web pages dedicated to the safari, the autism effort, um, and it's a really wonderful resource. We have a whole dedicated team of writers um, that in particular are keeping everyone up to date, um, both for researchers as well as uh, other individuals who might be interested in this, um, giving summaries of the newest research that comes out, the newest investigations, even blogs of people, research scientists and clinicians who are in the field, uh, webinars in some cases, a wonderful, wonderful resource in terms of just putting all the latest and, and most important information all together in one place. Remarkable. So we're going to take a break and, and look uh, just a couple of minutes from your TED Talk. And I have to say, it's it's a really incredible TED Talk, but I want to know where you got your shoes. You're wearing great <laughs> shoes. <laughs> I always tend to notice those things when people do TED Talk, because I can't imagine what it must be like before you do your TED Talk and all the things you're concerned about. But you had some really amazing shoes on as well. So that's very impressive to me. Um, Thank you. And when we come back, I, I'm going to let Dr. Tarbox ask, ask some questions, too, because his questions are infinitely more intelligent than mine. I'm not uh, sure about that. We'll <laughs> see about that. So, but first, take a look. A really important topic. Don't, don't spend the whole time looking at her shoes, but do check out her shoes. Uh, <laughs> here is Wendy in her most recent TED Talk, which, by the way, recently cleared over a million views. Congratulations. One of the ways that we can understand that genetics is a factor is by looking at something called the concordance rate. In other words, if one sibling has autism, what's the probability that another sibling in that family will have autism? And we can look in particular at three types of siblings. Identical twins, twins that actually share 100% of their genetic information and shared the same intrauterine environment, versus fraternal twins, twins that actually share 50% of their genetic information versus regular siblings, brothers, sisters, 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 also sharing 50% of their genetic information, yet not sharing the same intrauterine environment. And when you look at those concordance ratios, one of the striking things that you will see is that in identical twins, that concordance rate is 77%. Remarkably, though, it's not 100%. It is not that genes account for all of the risk for autism, but yet they account for a lot of that risk because when you look at fraternal twins, that concordance rate is only 31%. On the other hand, there is a difference between those fraternal twins and the siblings, suggesting that there are common exposures for those fraternal twins that may not be shared as commonly with siblings alone. So this provides some of the data that autism is genetic. Well, how genetic is it? When we compare it to other conditions that we're familiar with, things like cancer, heart disease, diabetes, in fact, genetics plays a much 
larger role in autism than it does in any of these other conditions. But with this, that doesn't tell us what the genes are. It doesn't even tell us in any one child is it one gene or potentially a combination of genes. And so, in fact, in some individuals with autism, it is genetic. That is, that it is one single, powerful, deterministic gene that causes the autism. However, in other individuals, it's genetic. That is, that it's actually a combination of genes, in part with the developmental process that ultimately determines that risk for autism. Welcome back to Autism Live. It's a very exciting day here in the studio live. I have Dr. Jonathan Tarbox, the director of the Autism Research Group, and via Skype, I have Dr. Wendy, as she is known to her patients, Wendy Chung from the Simons Foundation, one of the leading researchers in the field of autism in terms of genetics. So, so thrilled to have both of you here. And we just were watching a clip of Dr. Wendy when she did her most recent TED Talk, which as I said before, just recently crossed over a million views. That's very impressive. And um, I, I'm, I'm wondering if we could focus for just a minute on how genetics seem to be playing a role in autism, since this is your field. As the leading geneticist in the field, what in particular are you seeing come out of research that's informing us about genes and autism? Right. So uh, we clearly don't understand all the causes of autism, but in uh, some of the patients, about 20% of patients, we are realizing that there are a large number of genes. The current estimates are really quite humbling to me in that it may be somewhere between four and 500 genes, um, all of which can cause what we call autism at this point. Um, and I can tell you on literally a daily basis with my own clinical patients, we are identifying those genes often, which, uh, as I had talked about in my test, talk are not actually inherited changes, but things that actually start brand new with the child. Um, and so in some cases, we do see that there are those new changes. In some cases, we are seeing inherited changes from one or both of the parents. But we're starting to get a much better idea of how the brain is connected, which of those genes work together, how they work together, um, how they're important in terms of how the brain develops, as well as how it functions on a day-to-day -day basis. Um, and so we're, we're in the process still of a lot of discovery. We certainly haven't finished all of our work, um, and it's clear that we're going to need a lot more individuals to participate with us to get this all straightened out and understood. Absolutely. And I, one of the things that I was really struck by, and by the way, we want to encourage people to watch the entire TED Talk, but you, you just mentioned this idea of that it's genetic, but it isn't necessarily heredity. And that was fascinating to me because I always think of those two things as being interchangeable. If something is genetic, it means you inherited it, but you just said that it isn't always, that sometimes the child is the first one to have in the family to have that genetics. And so it's a mutation. Right. So, you know, it's the typical thing that parents will say when they come to visit me. They'll say, there's no way, Dr. Wendy, I'm so glad that I've met you, but I have no idea why I'm here because I have no family history of autism. It's just my son who has it. Um, so why should I be, see why should I be here? I, I don't understand why I'm here seeing you. Um, and what we realize, as I said, is that when each of us has a child, our children are not perfect uh, sort of genetic copies of either the mother or the father or even exactly both of them put together. That every time we have a child, there are about 20 places in our genetic material that are actually brand new that are not inherited from the mom or the dad. Now, in most cases, those 20 spots are not in places that are critical in terms of how the body develops or how the brain works. And so 
So we still end up looking pretty good and functioning pretty well. Um, that is that all those changes aren't problematic, but every once in a while, and that every once in a while is unfortunately about one in a thousand times, there is something that really has a profound effect in terms of how the brain works and how the brain functions. And that's what we're seeing in many cases of children or individuals with autism. Fascinating. Fascinating. Dr. Tarbox, I know you had a question that you wanted to ask. Sure, lots. Um, first of all, I just want to say I really appreciate the opportunity to be able to chat with you. Um, I'm, I call myself a behavior doctor. I'm, uh, my day-to-day -day business is research on the behavioral, evidence-based behavioral intervention approaches. And, you know, what we always see is a huge range in response to treatment, right, which I'm sure you're very yep. familiar with. Um, so, we, you know, we might have one child who takes maybe maybe five to ten learning opportunities in order to master a new skill and another child who might take literally 500 you know of the same learning opportunities to learn the new skill and you know some of that is environmental clearly but definitely some of that is genetic so so we're you know on my you know behavioral side of the camp are always really interested in uh, in sort of what's going on inside the kids um, and so I really appreciate you being here and the opportunity to talk to you um, so one one question I had was um, so you're saying that um, some of some of these genetic changes are um, variations that happen for the first time with these kids. So what, um, you know, what, what are some possible causes of that? I mean, do we know what actually, yeah. what factors cause these different types of mutations or are they sure. predictable, et cetera? Yeah. So there are different classes of genetic changes. One are um, when I think about real estate as a comparison, one are relatively large scale. It might be something like an entire zip code that's missing or extra. And technically, we know that there are parts of our genome that are relatively unstable, regions that tend to either pop in or pop out. And so that's related to that instability of that particular genomic region. There are other places where it's literally one letter out of three billion letters that's changed. And as I said, that's like um, as you're typing something over, as you are writing something, um, um, having a typo and needing, and we have spell checkers in place that correct that, but they're not perfect. Um, although it's certainly not the only reason, uh, we know that for fathers in particular, um, as they get older, those typos accumulate in the sperm over a lifetime. And so the older the father is, there's actually a linear relationship with accumulation of those types of genetic typos. Um, and so that is the at least part of the answer or most of the answer for the epidemiological association between advanced father's age as well and that association with autism. There are probably other reasons that we don't yet understand at this point in terms of whether there, not, there might be other environmental exposures or other things even in the developing fetus um, that might predispose to those changes happening or those mutations happening. So we understand some of the answer of why but we still don't understand all of it and clearly that's incredibly important as we think about how to try and prevent this in the future. So that leads right into my next question, if I you may. You go. Um, so, Loving this. So uh, older uh, father age might be one possible variable. Um, are, there, are there other variables that have been identified in maybe other disorders or other areas of genetic study that, that influence genetic mutation? I mean, I guess what I'm looking for is do, do we have any, are you willing to go out on any limbs uh, as to hunches as to what might kind of help explain the, the increase, you know, in, in, right, in recent right, right. decades? Right. Um, so there are a lot of hunches that people have. Um, in addition to what you've talked about, there are some other technical reasons why um, certain types of genetic changes might have an advantage, if you will, for uh, certain of those sperms. So maybe they actually are, um, you know, tend to be around longer or tend to have a greater probability of making it into a child that's developing. Um, there may also be associations in terms of some of these genetic changes um, are not necessarily, I wouldn't think of them as mutations, as bad things. Um, but they're 
normal genetic differences um, that account for the wonderful reason why we're each a little bit uh, unique. Um, and some of those changes may be um, coming together in terms of combinations to have a diagnosis of autism. It might not take just one genetic change, but perhaps several of these genetic changes together. Um, and so we may be seeing more of that happening in this era than we did in eras in past, either in terms of who's having children or, you know, different uh, ways that uh, individuals are now having children. So um, and there's also the possibility in terms of exposures with the developing brain in terms of non-genetic issues that there might be things, different things in today's modern era that we're exposing either our fetuses or our uh, early developing children to that weren't necessarily as much in the environment as they were a generation ago. So um, it's not as much a specific answer, but definitely the demographics are changing in terms of when we're having children, who's having children. Uh, that's part of the answer. And certainly in terms of the, you know, bugs and drugs that were around, if you will, those have certainly changed over time as well. I just have to take a second to say in a previous uh, segment today, we were talking about how many people are working on autism and in so many different ways and what a privilege it is to be here and, and to hear that, you know, while I'm sleeping, you're working on these kinds of things, Dr. Wendy, and, uh, and, and helping us to figure out what's happening because that's an important component of this and how thrilling it is because I know Dr. Tarbox is working on the other end of things and it's equally as important to know how to intervene once the child is here. And I know at the end of your yep. TED Talk, you talk about how important early intervention is and even some of the technology that's making a difference and has the potential to make a bigger difference with right. autism down the line. It's very exciting to be here with both of you. And I, I appreciate you both in, in everything that you're doing. I wonder if you could take a second to talk to us, Dr. Wendy, about you know, obviously this is something you feel very passionately about. What research are you excited about right now that you think is going to really unveil some new answers for us? Um, so I think, you know, we have a lot of uh, capacity in terms of the genetics to identify new genes and with new genes come from a pharmaceutical point of view or a drug point of view, new targets in terms of being able to develop new treatments. Um, however, I don't think it's all about medication per se in terms of the new treatments we can offer. Uh, what you were alluding to in terms of the ability to make the diagnosis early and to be able to start um, a lot of behavioral modification, a lot of early intervention um, at an early stage where the brain is very plastic, is very capable of change and being able, still in the developmental phase, I think is perhaps one of our most exciting opportunities. Um, the other thing that I'm especially cognizant of, though, is it's not just about the little ones, um, that increasingly we have a whole generation of individuals who's growing up in an exciting way, um, they're becoming young adults or even, you know, sort of middle-aged adults. And so I think we've got lots of opportunities to be able to think about how we can help support them in the best ways possible. Um, I think it's, you know, many times people that uh, individuals that we haven't paid as much attention to, but shame on us for that. I think we're uh, starting to realize that they're a really important group that just because they're getting older and we're maybe perhaps not seeing them in some of our autism centers, um, we shouldn't forget about them. And so I think there are wonderful opportunities to be able to even use new technologies there. Um, and so just last night, actually, we were talking about how we can do things to help individuals live more independent lives using technologies to be able to allow them to reach out when they might need help 
help or they might need support. Um, and so I think there are just wonderful opportunities to help us all to lead more fulfilling lives. Uh, our families, our individuals who have this particular challenge, we certainly have many ways to be able to use new technologies to make them as fulfilled as possible, to help them uh, as much as they want to pursue those hopes and dreams that they've wanted to. I love that answer. <laughs> as a parent with a growing child with autism, I love that answer. Uh, you want to ask another question? or uh, I have so many. I don't uh, know. Just, you're going to have to tell me when to stop. Okay. But, uh, <laughs> Can so, we keep you for a couple of more minutes, Dr. Wendy? Sure. Okay, absolutely. great. I'm loving right. this. So one more uh, sort of thing that we run into all the time clinically that's, again, it's kind of an anecdotal observation, more of a hunch than anything else. I don't think a lot of research on this yet, but there's definitely sort of subtypes of folks on the spectrum, uh -huh. right? Um, sure. Uh, and so what we've noticed is things like kids who learn much better uh, if visual supports are used. So auditory Absolutely. information is just difficult to handle, difficult to produce vocal speech, difficult to respond to, uh, to vocal speech. Uh, so that's sort of one sort of sub maybe category. Another one is um, uh, kids who have a really, really tough time with more sort of OCD like uh, uh, ritualistic mm -hmm. control issues, routines, things sort of need to be a certain way and if they aren't that sure. way it's a, it's a huge source of distress. Uh, and trauma for these kids, um, you know, and then other kids who are sort of hyperlexic, who you know learn their you know alphabet before they're one year old, and yet they can't say a you know, and they they learn to read novels, but they can't even hold a conversational speech with a friend, you know. So there's something about letters and and, and reading that uh, these kids are particularly strong at. So I'm just curious, uh, just uh, you know, off the top of your head, do you think that there that genetics could play a role in any of these different yeah. types of sub sort of learning subtypes? Yeah, so we've already started seeing this with some of the genes that we've identified. Um, although I wouldn't say any one gene is, you know, specifically has very tight boundaries in terms of those subtypes you're talking about. I absolutely believe that they're going to cluster together, that they'll, you know, individuals will have more similarities than differences. And I, I think what you pointed out is incredibly important that with these different subtypes, the brain literally works in a different way. Um, not necessarily a bad way, but a different way. And I think as you talked about learning styles, uh, whether you're a visual learner or an auditory learner, I think what we need to do is to be able to help these individuals to understand where their strengths, where their weaknesses are, and to be able to adapt things to be able to play to those strengths and support those weaknesses. And especially in a very practical way, um, as you mentioned, the rigidity, you know, it's not like we're going to totally cure them of that per se, um, but on the other hand, we can help them to be flexible enough to be able to get through the day in a you know regular way, um, and to be able to handle some of those challenges as things are likely to change on you know any one day. Um, but I do think you're right that they're going to come into those subtypes, and I think the ability for us to know about that very early on is going to be to our advantage in terms of being able to both again prepare the brain when it's still more plastic and when it has more opportunity to change, but also to structure educational systems um, and to be able to give um, individuals, rather than having them beat their head against the wall because they're not learning in the way that their brain doesn't work, but rather to be able to predict the ways that are going to be most helpful to them and get them on that track very early on. And that sort of feeds into my next question, because I wanted to talk a little bit about the Ian network and, and why, what it's about and why it's important for everyone watching to participate and give their information to the Ian network. And you're involved with that. Can you tell us about the Ian network? Sure. Oh, did she freeze us? We lost her for a second. We're, we're trying to reestablish. Hang on one second to see if we can get Dr. Wendy back. Sometimes Skype does that. Sure. Technology is great when it it's works. Not, it's, it's not perfect. Oh, is she back with us? 
Can you hear me? I can hear you now. Did I lose you? We 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 just okay, had I'm you sorry freeze. About that. No, it wasn't your fault. It's it's all about the technology. But we've got you back now. So uh, we were just okay. you were just okay. starting I'll, to talk about. Okay, Ian. I'll try again. Okay. So the. Yep. So the inner the inner. Have you active autism network yeah. is an online community of individuals. Uh, individuals and families with autism. Um, and as we start thinking about developing new supports for individuals, it's very clear to me that because of the heterogeneity within autism, we're gonna need a really large number of individuals because I wanna make sure that we look for, you know, take care of the issues in the little ones, as well as the ones that are young adults, um, the ones that are verbal, the ones that are nonverbal, that have all the different challenges that we've talked about today. Um, I'm frozen right now, I'm heard. Uh, we, no, we've got you back. Okay, you've got me back. Yeah, we've um, got so so as we're okay, so as we're uh, thinking about that, um, the challenge is that if opportunities come up, for instance, for new treatments, new opportunities, um, certainly they're not going to be one size fits all. We're going to have to think about being able to have really sub portions of individuals that might benefit from those or be able to help us and test out some of these new strategies and very much and very importantly to give us feedback to tell us what's working for them what's not working for them so as we're doing this uh, what we're trying to do through Ian through this interactive autism network is really we want to listen to you we want to hear from families we want to hear about the challenges that you have the the things that really bug you most that would be most helpful for us to be able to come up with solutions for um, we we want to then be able to partner with you as we try and come up with some of these solutions and have you give us feedback and tell us what's working, what's not working. Um, as we do this, my hope is that we will take down some of the barriers um, for other folks that might want to come to the table and help us with this. So as I think about uh, companies that are making devices, that are making software, that are making drugs, that are coming up with new therapies for this, if we make this easy for them, I would hope that we can actually steer them in the direction of developing new treatment for autism, um, perhaps even and spend less time on things like cancer. Um, not that I don't want there to be a cure for cancer, but I think that we can help enable those uh, those companies that have resources to bring to bear and might have solutions for us if we can make it easy for them. So that's what we're trying to do is we're trying to, number one, advocate for the community in terms of being able to come up with the solutions that are important to them. And then number two, make it as easy as possible for anyone who might have opportunities uh, for solutions to be able to, you know, test them out and make sure that they're going to be good solutions for the community and make that as easy and inexpensive for them as possible. And I, uh, I participate with the Ian Network. It's a very easy thing to do. You can log on to it and you're, you're given a username and a, and a password. And then from time to time, I will be contacted. In the beginning, I filled out a big survey. I was part of the big original survey. And from time to time, when my circumstances fit, I will get a thing reminding me to go in and answer some new questions. It's as simple as that. Uh, there's no cost involved and you feel like when you do it and I will say that I don't always remember to do it and follow through right I'm a human being but when I do it I feel like I'm part of a, 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 a bigger project that I have given information that hopefully will help somebody else down the road yep. and I think it's important for people to participate. Yep, and we appreciate that very much. We've actually made it easier to be able to register, so it only takes about a minute or two okay, to register. Cool. And then um, if you'd like to do more, there are many opportunities, but it's certainly up to you and based on your individual time and capacity. Um, but we've tried to make it as easy as possible to join the community.
Well, this has been remarkable. I can't thank you enough, Dr. Wendy, for being here. And I, we could keep you here forever. I, I have more questions, to, and Dr. Tarbox has more questions, but I know we've kept you longer than we had said that we were going to keep you. But I thank you so much. Maybe we could continue this conversation again. Yeah, let's sure. chat again. It's okay. been fun. It's been really fun for us. Thank you so much. Please give our regards to everyone at the Simons Foundation. It's so incredible the work that you guys are doing, and it's so deeply appreciated by those of us who have children on the spectrum. Oh, it's our honor. Well, thank, thank you. you so much. Bye-bye for now. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Really remarkable uh, young woman with great shit taste in shoes, uh, <laughs> which, which is always important, but secondary. Especially uh, for scientists, right? That's, that's right. I mean, when do you find that? Uh, I'm asking. Uh, but really incredible. Again, we want to urge you to participate with that Ian network. Uh, really incredible to be a part of that project. Look, we're not going to get answers until we all weigh in, right? So uh, we're going to take a short break, and then if, if can you stay for a minute because we had a couple of questions from couple viewers minutes, sure. okay all right so we i know a couple of you had written in over the weekend some really intensive questions that um we're gonna uh, ask dr tarbox to help us out with stick with us the institute for behavioral training provides courses in applied behavior analysis for the treatment of autism access ibte learning videos on the move and learn at your own pace talk a little bit about intensity. IBTE learning makes any location your classroom on the go. So our objectives for today are to really learn what is autism and how is it diagnosed. Get professional guidance with IBT face-to-face -face training. IBT face-to-face -face training courses prepare you to effectively implement ABA-based interventions. Choose between small group and one-to-one -one instruction. Earn BCBA supervision hours via one-to-one -one video conferencing. So I had a chance to review your BIP today. You know what? It looked really good. You did a good job with it. IBT, continuing education courses. Earn credit through webinars, conferences, article reviews, and e-learning videos. You can learn more at ibehavioraltraining.com. IBT, 360 degrees of ABA training. Welcome back to Autism Live. We just finished talking with Dr. Wendy, which was a great fun to be here and he hear the questions that you ask her. I just, I can't get over. She's great. That was a fun conversation. Well, and to have two great minds who are working on autism and working in, you know, different areas of it, but you're still on the same team. It's really remarkable to hear the two of you talking together. It uh, was great privilege to be here. I just have to say that. Well, I felt the same way, so. Well, uh, and, and somebody had written in and wanted to know, and, and I think we already answered the question you asked, uh, can you ask Dr. Wendy how normal families can help in the cause to understand autism and treat it? And it's exactly participating in that Ian network. So I hope that you guys will all log on and do that. Now we had some questions that came in over the weekend, and one in particular that just took my breath away. And since we have Dr. Tarbox, I asked him if he would stay and answer a couple of questions. So the first one, they wrote, good morning. Occasionally, my adult son with autism reaches over and punches me while I'm driving. 
Ooh, it just gave me shivers. Uh, usually just one quick punch. He's very remorseful, but this has happened several times. He will do this even sitting in the back seat. I've tried having car rules for him to be safe. His therapist is teaching him how to get attention appropriately. What else can I do? It's very scary and thank you. I can't even imagine how scary that is. Yeah, it's pretty serious business getting yeah. punched while you're the driver. Uh, so first of all, you know, I yeah, I feel for you as well. Um, <clears throat> I guess the first thing that I always say, maybe I'm a broken record, uh, is anytime there's a challenging behavior, the first thing you need to know is why is the individual yeah. doing the challenging behavior, and the answer to that is get a functional assessment, get a functional behavioral assessment. Um, and so it sounds like uh, your son already has a therapy team. If so, um, approach the whoever's in charge of, of your son's treatment and ask, did you do a functional assessment um, for this particular behavior in the car, for punching during car rides? Uh, if so, what are the results? Why is he doing it? Is he doing it to get my attention? Is he doing it um, because there's some aspect of how I'm driving that he doesn't like? Is he doing it uh, because he doesn't want to go where we're driving in the car? There's there's got to be a reason. It's not random. Um, and as we always say, the diagnosis of autism does not cause challenging behavior, right? Mm -hmm. So autism does not equal punching people. Um, it is something that can be treated. It is something that can be decreased. But the first step is to know why is it happening to begin with. Yeah. After you know that, then, then you can make meaningful recommendations. Um, because without knowing that, anything actually, any, any recommendation that I give could actually make the behavior worse yeah. or could make it better, right? So yeah. if he's doing it to get, your, to get a reaction from you, uh, then talking to him about it, asking him not to and everything else as a consequence of the behavior will make the behavior worse, right? right? Um, but if he's doing, um, you know, if he's doing it uh, because he doesn't like where you're going, uh, you know, where you're going in the car, then stopping the car and going home would make the behavior worse, right. right? But what if he's doing it for attention and you're going to his favorite place, go to the, you know, the community pool to go swimming, which is his favorite activity, and you stop the car and go back home, that might actually help decrease it, right? Because right. he learns that if I'm mistreating mom, I'm not going to get to do what I want to do, right. which is just sort of a reasonable explanation. Don't give him what he wants, right? Whatever it is, um, if he's mistreating you or anyone else for that matter, but you got to know what he wants. You got to yeah. figure out what he's trying to get before you can really take very meaningful action. And, um, she, and she says that they're trying to teach him more appropriate ways to get attention, but I think it's really important to go back and say <clears throat> what you just said, that are we sure that that's what's causing it? Yeah, we don't know. Are we, right? Like, if did they do an FBA and a functional behavior assessment? Um, because if if they did, then you can create an uh, an intervention plan that should be effective. Right. Because if he, if he's not punching you for attention, then teaching him to ask for attention, well, it's all well and good to increase language and communication, mm -hmm. but it's not going to address the problem. It has nothing right. to do with it. I mean, we've seen plenty mm -hmm. of, um, plenty of individuals on the spectrum who have challenges during car rides for other reasons. For example taking the wrong route somewhere, right? So if there's a regular route that you drive to the store or to grandma's house or whatever it is, and for whatever reason you drive in a different route that day, some individuals, because of sort of control routine type issues, um, will have challenging behavior in order to get you to go back to the normal route, you right. know? Or we've seen, um, we've certainly seen attention. We've seen, um, you know, don't want to go to school. And so if you create enough of a problem in the car, then maybe, maybe, maybe mom will turn the car around. So it, it really, you know, we do want to increase communication for sure. 
there, but yeah. it has to be communication for what the individual actually wants, uh, the reason why they're doing the challenging behavior. And then that is going to work. It is going to make a difference. Okay. It's so hard when they're adults because some of the things that you can do when they're children, you know, I think about Jem went through a phase where he wanted to throw things while I was driving. Mm -hmm. um, but the five-point harness and moving my chair up just a little bit more and moving his the bench seat back a little bit more really you know took it away from him right. um, and there was one time that he figured out how to get out of his five-point harness and you know I thought it was a horrible thing at the time but what was really great was that I was sort of trying to deal with that and I got a ticket the police pulled me over while it was happening and he was so terrified of the police officer that was the end of it so I wow. kind of owe like I had to pay the ticket but I it was worth it <laughs> it was worth it because he was terrified he was absolutely terrified of that happening but with an adult it makes it an entirely different thing and Really and I'm sure that you're getting some anxiety now driving the car about when is it going to happen and and justifiably so of course. so ideal got to have the functional behavior assessment and then the behavior intervention plan and I'm going to guess that while they're implementing the plan she's going to have to have somebody else in the car with her while she's driving that would be ideal so usually when we're training parents on how to implement a new behavior intervention plan uh, uh, the supervisor or, or you know somebody like that a consultant should be present to help um, to model the the correct implementation and to give you praise when you do a good job. Yes. Um, so ideally, yeah, the supervisor or therapist or somebody should be there to support you. If that's not possible for whatever reason, then it, the next best step is for them to give you a good, uh, clearly written description of the intervention plan and then role play how to interact, how to implement it when, mm -hmm. whenever you are able to be with the consultant or the supervisor or whoever's training you um, so that you actually, you know, so that you can do it correctly. But yeah, as much support as possible. Oh, please let us know what happens. And if you've already had the F FBA, write back and let us know that as well so that we can uh, be more specific. Okay, we've got another writer who wrote in and said, my soon-to-be four-year-old son who is on, uh, who is in, excuse me, a disabled pre-K classroom is very distracted in the classroom. I think it's because of all the sensory going on in the class, all the posters on the walls, the other kids making noise, talking, and everything else going on. With him, there's 12 kids in the classroom I'm thinking he's so distracted and out of it because he does not know how to block unnecessary sounds and things he sees too I'm almost sure um, it's a sensors thing because at home he is so much more alert responsive talkative etc what can I do to help him in his classroom with all the sensory going on in there and thanks in advance I have to be honest that you know I'm I'm a person who's pretty sensory sensitive and we now have rules in my family about when we go to the checkout that nobody's allowed to talk to me because there's so much going on at the checkout. There's like things and there's, you know, things that they want you to buy and the right. checkout person is asking you questions. Sometimes the person behind me is asking right. me questions. My kid the is bag, talking yeah. to me. My yeah. husband is talking to me. Do I want a bag? Do I want a paper? And I just want to go, ah, you know, in that moment. And I, and I have a, a new thing that I started after somebody stole my credit card when I was standing there being so overwhelmed, right? Because right. I think people see that. But I said, nobody's allowed to talk to me while I'm talking to the checkout person and that's it. And I will even say that to the person behind me, excuse me, I need to focus on this, right? <laughs> sure, why not? I, I'm fairly nice about it. Uh, snippy with my son. You know, what are the rules? We have rules. Don't talk to mommy while she's at the checkout. Um, but, you know, I am one of those sensory people 
people. And and I'm always at the birthday party standing with the one kid on the side, who's not my kid, by the way, who has had more than they can handle right. and need a breather. I'm yeah. there with the kid. So I sympathize with your kid. It's too much sometimes. Sure, absolutely. So yeah. what, what would you, uh, I'm interested to hear what you would say for this about to be four-year-old, because then I'm going to try to institute it in my life. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, yeah, it's, there's definitely not a simple answer, but um, okay. I guess the first obvious answer would be try to engineer his environment so that there's less distractions. I mean, I know that's a no-duh, but, you know, some ways you can do that are um, a lot of special ed classrooms will have um, partitions so that when your son is focusing on his work, um, there's less distractions. So sometimes like an office divider mm -hmm. that can um, partition different areas of the classroom so that some areas can be for quiet, focused work, whereas more public open areas can be more for social activities and play activities and listening to the teacher. Um, a lot of times uh, uh, kids will have pull-out time where they take them out of the regular classroom into a resource room or some other empty classroom or something like that where a therapist or an aide or a teacher can work one-on-one -on -one with him. Uh, that can be very helpful. It's not going to be for the whole day, obviously, but at least to work on some core foundational skills that your son really needs to work on, that can be a good, you know, yeah. a, a good solution. I've seen people... Um, you know, experiment with other things, and I'm not going to recommend them because I have no idea if they're any good, but things like earphones and mm -hmm. things like that to kind of block out some of the distractions. I, I honestly don't know if any of that stuff is really helpful or not. Oh, I just saw a thing on, on Facebook, an article talking about classrooms for teachers because I have a lot of, I'm friends with a lot of teachers on Facebook, and, and talking about how teachers, you know, you feel a certain um, uh, responsibility to decorate your room right. as if something has exploded Exploded and children who were learning were stuck to the walls, right? right? right. Um, and yet they were making the case, it was a whole article about the fact that a busy room isn't necessarily the best room for learning. Um, it depends on the kids and it, it depends does. on the teacher and you know, but 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 when parents visit the classroom, they like to see it decorated with lots of educational it's materials. True. It looks pretty, it looks very educational. You right. Know. Uh, uh, but but yeah, it is an assault on the senses though. It, it, it can, can be. It can be. And, yeah. and, it, and it isn't unreasonable to ask the teacher, ask the teacher for a meeting and have a one-on-one -on -one meeting with the teacher and just ask, you know, what are some ways that we can address this issue for my child yeah. in your classroom? Is there any way we can make one corner of the classroom less busy or quieter or, right. or some portions of the day that are reserved to be quiet, focused time or, you know, something? Um, most teachers will make at least some attempt uh, at accommodation. And a lot of schools now have something, um, a quiet uh, room, and it isn't usually a room someplace else. You have to be very careful as a parent that they're using it properly, that it's a place that the child gets gets to go to before something happens. It is right. never a punishment, right. well, which is how people, well, unfortunately, yeah. a lot of schools don't understand it, sure. but it's up to us as parents, I believe, to make sure that a quiet space is being used properly. Of course, yeah. Um, that it, you know, can be a reward for the child saying, I need a break, or it's the thing when you see that they're getting to, but sometimes they have little cardboard houses that the kids can decorate, um, that they can just go, you know, because in the pre-K, there are little houses and things yeah. that can happen, and um, I I've seen them have those stretchy, um, the, um, I don't know what they're called, but OTs use them a lot. It's a piece of uh, very stretchy spandex, and it looks like a little taco, and they can get inside it uh, and be inside it. Kind and of rest. Yeah, yeah. It's, uh, and just have like a quiet moment to yourself, that thing sure. that we're all looking for sometimes where it's like, I just need five minutes sure. to myself. Sure, and what I would recommend, and you mentioned it already, but it bears repeating, is if you're going to have something like that where if, you're, if your child's in an overstimulating environment and they want to be in a 
quiet or calmer environment, make sure that whatever happens right before they transition to that quiet, calm environment is good behavior that you want to increase. So yeah. definitely teach them to request it or teach them to ask for it or, or you know, it's, use it as a reward for completing some small amount of work, something like that. Do not use it as a consequence for the child having a tantrum. Um, because then at that point, basically what you're teaching him, and we've seen this hundreds of times, what you're teaching your child is if you want, uh, if you want some uh, relaxation from all the sensory overload, all you have to do is have a tantrum. Right? Right. Which is not what we want to teach our kids, obviously. Right. And, and we've seen this mistake made over and over and over, over again. And over. A lot of, t like a teacher might hear a story along this line. We have the teacher who zipped the child into a duffel bag thinking that it was like that taco thing and it was for a punishment because the child was making noises. You know, it's so imperative as parents, it's on us, it shouldn't be, but it is, to make sure that teachers understand what are appropriate interventions and when to give them. Absolutely. Uh, we, we live in a punishment-driven society that, you know, we That's think really we're going to punish people into doing things. And, and while the rest of the world works that way, it's important that we instruct our teachers over and over and over again that our kids respond. We've seen it over and over again. You do research on this. Overwhelmingly, they respond more to something Positive that's... reinforcement. There yeah. it is. And of course, all these details should be written into your IEP, right? There's yes. no reason um, to just kind of hope that if you mention something that it'll get done properly. Yeah. Um, Oh, it's essential that it be in a legal document, that it, you know, that your IEP state these kinds of things, that you, if you have a behavior intervention plan, that it, it's marked off on that first page of your IEP, that it's attached, that it be attached. It's then incumbent upon you as the parent to make sure that everybody who deals with your child gets a copy of that, and then on top of that, that they understand that. We've seen all too often, in this case of the uh, Eric, um, the 16-year-old the, the who just drowned the other day, in a pool on a field trip because his aide, we don't know. The aide wasn't able to do what they were supposed to do, and we don't know why yet. But it is imperative, and the parents are devastated and saying we didn't even know that there was a pool on this field trip. They, they don't know if they would have sent him. But it brings home to me as a parent that, you know, we have we have to ask so many questions, more questions than is reasonable. That's but right. it's the safety of our kids and we do it and and uh, and keep working on it and keep being paranoid. I'm, I'm advocating being paranoid. There you have it, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen. Uh, okay, we uh, we need to let you go, um, but I thank you so much for being willing to come in today sure. on very last minute notice. Happy uh, to what do a it. what a treat for all of us to be here with two brilliant minds. And thank you for staying and answering some questions. That's fun. Us. We're going to take a short break, and then we're going to come back and finish out the show and tell you what we got going on the rest of the week. Stick with us. Learn the early signs of autism today, because an early diagnosis can make a lifetime of difference. Hey, I made your favorite. With real egg noodles and bite-sized chicken, Campbell's chicken noodle soup is the one kids love. Mm-mm, good. Come and get this on. Thanks. Stream your favorite content when you want. AT&T.
He didn't speak till he was almost five. Um, and uh, there's a time when my wife and I just were didn't think we'd ever have a conversation with him, and now he can build and program computers from scratch. We kind of really consider Reese a huge success story. Welcome back to Autism Live. It's been a very exciting day here, and I hope that you guys learned some things. I, I know my brain was expanded. Uh, I want to take just a couple of seconds to talk about what's happening this week. Tomorrow, Ask Dr. Doreen. Dr. Doreen Grampiche will be answering your questions here on the show. You can be writing your questions in. Then in the second hour, Let's Talk Autism with Shannon and Nancy. We have our very special guest, Vince Redman, is going to be back with us tomorrow. He's a licensed marriage and family therapist who has extensive, and I mean decades of experience, working with individuals who are on the autism spectrum. So that wonderful perspective of being a licensed marriage and family therapist and understanding what therapy is, my goodness, could it get better than that? And he's going to be talking with us about how we really get down to brass tacks and having fun. Because I don't know about you, I mean, we, we went through this a little bit this weekend in our celebrations of the part, you know, his birthday and everything. And uh, at, at least at one point, we were in a circumstance where everybody was miserable right and how we how we work on those things how we how we keep happy fun activities happening and when it goes south some ways that we can repair i know i need a little little pep talk from uh vince so that will be tomorrow and of course nancy allspot jackson will be with us as well and we're going to be covering some stories in the news you won't want to miss some of the uh really exciting things that came out over the weekend uh then on thursday we will have dr jonathan tarbox back with us and we're going to be having him talk with us about creativity. Uh, I know that a lot of times our kids on the autism spectrum, this is something that we worry about as parents. And is there a way in which we can teach creativity? I love when Dr. Tarbox is here because he helps us to understand some of those things that they refer to as on the inside. And can we foster skills that create uh, creativity and then reinforce it? I think we can. So we're going to have Dr. Tarbox help with us with that. And he's going to be answering your questions as well. I promise that I would talk just briefly about we um, went over the weekend. We Our original plan was that we were going to go to Disneyland, but a very good friend of the show went to Disneyland the day before we were going to go, and they were trying the, the new pass out to see what it was all about. And from some of the things that they said, we decided to go to Legoland. Uh, and that was a very thrilling thing to do on Saturday, although I will say that I think Legoland, we might be, he's 11, we might be at the age range where it's not going to be so much fun anymore because it, it, it's focused more on little kids. But here's what I want you to tell, I want you to know that you know how the Disney Pass used to be for Disney uh, and that it was just amazing how you were treated as an individual and taken really good care of and now it's this uh, very different sort of thing going on. Well, it uh, there used to be a policy at Legoland that's very similar to the one that Disneyland has now and Legoland has decided to switch that and so now they have pretty much what Disneyland used to have. It's as though the two switched and 
And we had an amazing day at Legoland. We had so much fun. We were treated like we were unique individuals and that unique was wonderful. People were so kind. It was not referred to as a disability pass. It was referred to as an access pass. And it reminded me of what we had from Disneyland for so long. So I'm thrilled for Legoland. I got to tell you, if you're making a trip to Southern California, definitely stop in and check out Legoland. It w and even there were so many more gluten-free options. Legoland is getting it. They are really on top of it. They are listening to their customers who are largely on the autism spectrum. Let's face it. Uh, kids on the spectrum love Legos and Legoland is paying attention. I hope that Disneyland is too. We want to give a shout out to Disneyland and say, take a look. Take a look at what it looks like when you're listening, and we hope that you will. You've always listened, listened in the past. We encourage you to do that again. We're out of time, but uh, I thank you so much for being with us. It's so wonderful to be back and such a privilege to be in this with you. We hold hands. We do this together. Si se puede, right? So we'll be back tomorrow. Until then, please give your kiddos a hug from me and one for you, too. Bye-bye for now.